Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio, uh, where we celebrate every single day the the amazing people who are working all over the state of Mississippi to make this a great place to live, work, and play. I've got a great show today. Austin Golden is going to be joining me here shortly from from uh, Golden Barge Line, someone I really enjoy catching up with. I just want to share uh, with you real quick uh, something that I got from a newsletter that my son Justin uh, shared with me. It's a newsletter. It's a Christian newsletter that actually goes out to men. It's not every day. I'm not exactly sure the cadence of it yet. I've just recently signed up for it, but already I can tell you it's going to be it's going to be really good. But here's just a little segment of it that I think applies well to the fact that if we all work together. Uh, little small acts of kindness by all of us add up to be something very, very significant. And this, his name is John Tyson, incidentally. And uh, here's here's what he wrote: The truth is, most of the things that will change our lives are not that dramatic. They're just small moments to act when others don't. To wade in at least. Uh, at the least convenient point to remember when others forget. Desmond Tutu said, do your little bit of good where you are. We're in this moment. It's the little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. And then John went on to write, small acts of kindness and love, little bits of good woven together over time. This is how a generation of men will overwhelm the brokenness of this world. Every man longs to, to keep the darkness at bay, yet it turns out it's easier than you think. Kind, normal, loving men meeting the needs in front of them. This is how they like. This is how the light comes in. And you know, this is a, a men's newsletter. This though would apply to anybody, any single person. And I agree. So small acts of kindness can make a great big difference. In the world of social media today, it's really, really easy to lash out. We should consider doing that less. So now let's turn the page and move over to my friend Austin Golden. He's the president and CEO of Golden Barge Lines. We'll remind, remember, uh, remind you what his company is all about, but uh, someone I really enjoy uh, catching up with. How you doing, Austin? I'm doing great, Ricky. How are you doing today? I am doing great. I'm doing great. You know, we there's a lot to talk about. I mean, because of the work that you do to to move refined petrochemical products and chemicals throughout all the U.S. inland waterways, you have a real good feel for the economy, don't you? And well, what, what do you think? Yeah. Well, we touch a lot of it for sure, Ricky. And like we've been talking about, you know, um, I'm 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 personally a little skeptical of a full scale pullback. Um, You know, I I see a lot of uh, economic activity on our side. Um, I think one of the the points that we've seen the most probably tangible impact about what the local Mississippi economy is doing. We are seeing a lot more people come back to 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 look for work. Um, It seems like the people that are coming back the most are the people that are in their late twenties early 30s that probably uh, tried to start their own business or did start their own business and quickly realized that uh, an unplanned mechanical outage 
some kind of health insurance premium that went up, the business insurance that went up, uh, made it real made it real obvious that the larger, more consistent structure was probably better, especially one like ours and a lot of other industries that have a lot of verticality associated with it. Um, you can be promoted and make more money uh, through our, our model rather than your own model a lot of times. Um, <clears throat> so that has been an indicator that I think it's become more difficult to borrow money to start a company. It's become more expensive to maintain that company. And they're coming back to our, our position. But the more employ, employees you see looking for work, the more you must think the economy's slowing down. Uh, so I think that there could be some uh, pace to this. They, they could offset it. But I think for as far as I, I can tell, uh, regardless of the tea leaves, our, our economy's strong and the products that we're moving are in demand and the volumes that we're moving are very, very high. Well, look, you think about um, it's interesting that some people, of course, we heard a lot about this during the pandemic. People kick tires to their own entrepreneurial efforts. Some would succeed. Some wouldn't. Some would succeed and still see that it's really hard to, you know, to maintain that that direction. And as you pointed out, the if you have to borrow money at all to be able to kind of keep things moving, it's a really difficult environment now to be borrowing money for your business and the, the cost of capital is just so high, but the barrier to entry in your industry is extremely high. You think about what it costs to invest in a barge. I mean, the the boats that you guys are, are building. I mean, it's significant barrier to entry, isn't it? Well, it, it is. And uh, my dad is is now he's still active in the business. This is his fifty first year uh, in the business, and. You know, we had sold a previous business, uh, so we had the, the as a family, we had a, a cash event that allowed us to be able to recapitalize into a new company. The old company was very dated and very uh, unorganized. It was just a hodgepodge of equipment that had been cobbled together as my dad at my age was making it happen. And um, as he fought through uh, a very slow 80s economically, uh, he got to the point in the 90s where we could sell the business. And then as we got wrapped into the the new business, we started in one outlet mall with just barges and then moved to a second outlet mall with a few more barges and a, and a boat or two. And then we moved down to uh, a, well, it really is a mobile home that we had down by the river, as Chris Farley would tell you. Uh, <laughs> but as far as the city zoning board was concerned, it was a temporary modular office unit. And uh, we had four of those temporary modular office units. And my competition was calling us the paper box towboat company that was ready to sell that we didn't even have an office we just had um, you know a, a trailer down by the river and so <laughs> as we grew and got more legitimate we built an office we started scaling on the on the equipment but this is a process that uh, it took 51 years to get to the place we're at now and really in the last 20 years it's taken a lot of slow patience um, we also have uh, the ability to stomach the risk that this business takes on for the margin that it is. Um, you know, the margin that we make isn't great. Uh, the margin we make that's it, worth it is the margin we make on our equity sheet. Whenever we start paying down a lot of debt on this very expensive equipment and start clearing that out, and you have this realization that uh, at that point, you can start pulling some free cash flow out of the company. But at any given moment, we could have a big incident that could cost a lot of money with people or, or products. And so it's a it's a slow roll. A lot of the competition I have is family institutionalized businesses that are very old that have a lot of uh, risk and, and operational appetite. 
uh, and or publicly traded companies that need a, a piece. Usually we're a piece, a towboat company is a piece of a larger company that found out they were paying a lot for boats and barges and why don't we just buy those boats and barges to mm-hmm. some products for trading uh, or family businesses. So not a lot of idle ownership. Yeah, the ownership's either involved with the products on the barges or they're involved with the operation itself. And yeah, it takes it takes a long grow of financial capital to be able to, to get to where you have a substantial operation, which is what, well, to, to the first comment, that's what people want to work for. You know, that, that, that's a stable environment that we're providing. So that's got its own benefit. What's interesting about your story, you, you go back again with your dad starting the first company and, you know, kind of, as you put pointed out, hodgepodging it together and finding success, ultimately being able to sell the company. You know, when you think about starting over, you, you, you have the opportunity to take all of those experiences and parlay those and say, it's, it's truly zero-based budgeting. If we're going to build costs back into the company, what do, we, what do we want to do? Well, we don't have to have that over there. We, we can do this that way. We need newer equipment because if we have newer equipment, our maintenance costs are going to be less. And own and own and own you and you just kind of like a snowball kind of built it like that and just only built costs in that made sense to a sustainable company and uh, sometimes it's better to start over than to try to fix something we see that a lot you know we see that a lot in our industry where the equipment uh, especially as time rolls on technology brings out a competitive advantage in fuel burn or uh, reliability uh, but one thing I will say that's kind of secret the secret sauce here in vicksburg and if anybody ever comes to vicksburg you can kind of uh, ask around and probably run into somebody that works at one of these companies i'm about to describe but we have four towboat companies that are here in vicksburg that move different products they have golden barge line yazoo river towing magnolia marine and now Terrell river service and Terrell river service is a company that uh is still listed headquarters in lake providence louisiana but all their upper management lives here in Vicksburg, and they're really running a lot of the operation out of Vicksburg at the senior level. And I think that that's a testament to Vicksburg as a river town. There's really become only a handful of, of places that can host these companies. Uh, New Orleans, Houston, along the Gulf Coast, and Mobile. If you come up river, it's Vicksburg and Memphis and Paducah. And Memphis is really more the terminaling and some of the services side, but Paducah and Vicksburg have become uh, really two of the largest uh, towboat company hosting communities in the country. Uh, Nashville's also got a few companies, but that's Nashville. You would expect that. Uh, But for Vicksburg, we're as an industry, we supply a lot of economic activity here, but the community provides a lot of really good employees and an opportunity to do big business in a small town that people like living in. So I think that's our secret sauce. And it, and it allows the when you have that scale, that, that number of companies, four in your case, the scale of support industries, you know, you uh, it's going to be better for you guys because, uh, you know, you got to build to that capacity, and that's ultimately good for everybody. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll talk with Austin uh, Golding, who's the president and CEO of Golding uh, Barge Line, about the Mississippi River. And, you know, it's been low again. We talked about it last year, but it's even lower now. Woo! We need some rain. We'll see you after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. From the Citizens Bank Studio, uh, welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. Um, I really enjoy uh, my visits with Austin Golding from Golding Barge Line. Uh, we, there are so many topics that he and I can get into. He's a, a, a bright young leader in this state, leading a family business that has tremendous responsibility. Hey, let's remind people, we talk about moving petrochemicals and all this stuff, but give people a sense of scale about where you do business and sure the kind of business that you do? So we're located in, in Vicksburg, Mississippi as a headquarters. Uh, and out of this headquarters in Vicksburg, we have about 35 to 40 employees every day that come here. Uh, we have 31 tow boats that run all over the country. We have 66 tank barges uh, that carry 30,000 barrels of clean petroleum apiece in them every day. So 27 boats are moving those 66 barges and then we have four boats that are pushing rock barges uh, that are owned by a rock company. We work for a Mississippi company, Warren Paving Company. Um, and Warren Paving, uh, Stephen Warren, uh, great Mississippians, great Mississippi company, and they're going up against some big boys and winning. And we're a part of that. We're a part of that team too. So I want to brag and throw them a shout out uh, if I could. Um, well, our our geographic location, we have a third of our operation is between New Orleans and Brownsville, Texas. A third of our operation is between New Orleans and Panama City, Florida, and then a third is from New Orleans up through the system through Memphis, into St. Louis, all the way to Pittsburgh, Chicago, Minneapolis, um, and even into Nashville and up the Arkansas. So we're really broken into three quadrants. Um, that changes as contracts change, routes change, demands change. The hot spots right now for us, uh, Memphis, carrying a lot of product out of the refinery there for Valero out of Memphis. Uh, out of Pascagoula, Mississippi, like we've talked about on your show, all through the Gulf Coast, different products there. And the new one has really been Brownsville, Texas. We're carrying a lot of product to Brownsville. Uh, Mexico would rather buy their finished product from us than try to make it themselves. So we're sitting there, Johnny, on the spot with barge full of product. Uh, whenever the border is open, uh, they can take it off of our off of our trucks, uh, off of our barges by truck and move it into the country. But yeah, they have a pretty volatile situation there on the border that requires a lot of probably uh, non-mentionable processes that I'm sure at the border. They're not in my, you know, I don't have to luckily deal with any of that. I just have to get the product into the shore tank on the U.S. side of the border. And then as people buy it from Mexico, they come into the U.S. to get it. And there's all kind of back and forth. So, so we have a lot of delays down there. But right now, when we can go, uh, it's hot. They want it. They want it now. And, and they'll pay a good penny for it. Again, I don't get paid back for any of the product. I'm like Uber. Major oil companies and traders uh, call me and they say, I have this amount of product. I need to move it from this location to this location. We give them a quote and we go from there. So we're, we're Uber for, for oil companies and trading companies that have to move those products in really those three different regions of the country. I don't remember you mentioning Brownsville before. Is yeah. that new? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty new. Uh, you know, some of the bigger steps in Pemex, uh, the Mexican uh, oil company, the state-owned Mexican oil company has met, moved, met, made as they've uh, moved into Shell Deer Park. They bought that refinery from Shell in Houston, Texas, uh, as well as some other plays you can find, I'm sure, through Google that are, that are more related to them being able to tap into the volume offset in the U.S. where we're not using as much of our product as we used to because of efficiencies and technologies in the EV world. 
Well, that, that length is being eaten up by the developing world in, in Mexico, Central and South America. We're doing a ton of, of export terminaling where the terminal handles a product and it either takes it by truck to Mexico or by ship to South America. We have the best kitchen in the world. We make great finished products. We make them cheaply. We make them safely. We make them consistently. So these oil companies, uh, we've also talked about on your show, Ricky, have they may have the U.S. flag out front in the parking lot, but their uh, their balance sheet is very international, and their allegiance might be to their employees and where they live, but it's certainly not to this country to give us a brother-in-law deal on on their products. They're going to sell it to wherever they can make the biggest margin on it. Um, and so right now, this hemisphere is using a lot of the product we make in the Gulf Coast. Well, you and I have had one. We've had sh- entire shows focused on that reality. That you know, it's a, uh, energy independence is important, but energy de- dependent independence is defined um, much more specifically than what we might talk about politically. For example, um, one of the things that that I've come to re- appreciate is that it is a worldwide market where where products, are, for, even from Chevron, are, are moving into sort of a global economy. And uh, it's not like American can decide what the price of a barrel of oil is going to going to be. And energy independence includes uh, the conversation you and I had, and we did have that conversation as it relates to Mexico buying that refinery. Instead of taking refinery offline in America, we should be adding you know refineries. Instead of selling refineries to a Mexican company, we should be upgrading that for for, for American purposes. And we are just not aligned as an industry. Now, one of the one of the interesting things, and I know you're watching it closely. We talked about the EV world before, but EV cars are not selling like hotcakes. I mean, that the, people want gas-powered cars. It is clear that over time, and you and I have talked about energy companies moving more towards sustainable. The reality is this conversion is going to take 20 or 30 years, probably, and 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 we can will it try to will it to happen over two or three years, like this administration is doing, we're not going to get where we need to be. We've got to drill more in America, refine more in America, and be more realistic about about our energy policy as it relates to uh, advanced technologies, EVs, for example. And uh, I wouldn't be able to say what I just said if it weren't for you. But <laughs> it is it is a complicated uh, uh, world, and it's too often simplified, isn't it? Well, Ricky, you've seen two People put money where their mouth is recently with Exxon and Chevron, both buying huge shale plays that are already positioned uh, with multi-billion dollar acquisitions of, of domestic crude production and exploration. And that is a, a way to look at it is a real statement that those two companies see uh, oil and oil exploration and, and production is a, is a key part of their business going forward. <clears throat> what else we're seeing, I think, is uh politically how does this shake out well politically evs become popular when gas is five dollars a gallon but when gas is as low as it is now and you're going to try to put me in an ev i'm not doing it and so i think that's part of this equation i think the other parts that are coming up soon are i think we're going to lower the carbon density of the oil and gas products we're using by by making them with renewable properties uh and so you're still going to have a gallon of gas or a gallon of diesel but the carbon intensity of that gallon is going to be a lot less in the future than it is now. Combine that with hybrid technology, I think EVs have a lot of headwinds. I think they have a lot of headwinds to become a reality and solely to themselves. 
I saw a great meme the other day that had a, a, a road sign that had a shotgun blast through the middle of it. And it said, if your hometown has road signs like this, you probably don't have an EV charging station in it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that's the truth. The, you know, the rest of the country is not outfitted for this. And even if you put a charging station on every corner, if I have to stop at that corner for 30 to 45 minutes to charge it versus five minutes in a hot cup of coffee at a gas station, still losing. So, yeah. you know, you got to come up with ways that I think we can bridge the technology that exists with the needs of the consumer to create something that's practical, not just uh, ideal. You know, there's an EV charging station up in D'Iberville, and I had to I had to bring a, a lawnmower, electric lawnmower, I might add, battery-powered lawnmower to get some warranty work done on it. And when I when I I didn't even know that it was there. It's in a parking lot there near where I, where I went. It's across from Walmart, and. So I looked over there. I said, "That's interesting." I didn't realize that was there. So I watched for a few minutes, and one there were several cars there that were charging. And by the way, it was like a hundred degrees this day. I mean, extremely high humidity. It was a miserable day. And I I went in and didn't even turn my truck off because I wanted the air condition to stay on. So when I got back in it, but I watched over there, and uh, one of the one several people were there. They were all standing outside their cars. Because you see, you know, you you're not certainly not going to be in your car while you're doing. It. One, it was a small family with a small child, and gosh, that it, it just it looked uncomfortable. And they had to stay there for a long. They they were standing there in the heat on this pavement. When I went inside, they were still there. When I came back out, I watched and right. thought that this is kind of awkward. You know, Americans like long drives. They like to be able to go in their cars and take long drives. I do think that that we're going to be talking a lot more about hybrid. I mean, it, yeah. with with the improvements that's being made that you just mentioned about the carbon of of gasoline, and then the the advances in uh, the, the technology that enable you to do both. I think that's where the future is going to be in the short term, don't you? Oh, for sure. I think it's there now. Uh, you know, I, I think I think that that's all consumer driven, too. That's not driven by subsidies or, or mandates. Um, and so I think the consumer is going to find the most practical application in um, that technology. I saw one the other day where there's a, a battery-powered element in a vehicle they're making that the gas-powered engine charges the battery constantly, so you never have to stop to charge it, and you have yeah. a, lot of fuel, a lot less fuel burn. I think that's great. I think that kind of stuff keeps all of us in a, in a, in a position where we're trending towards constant improvement. And real I had a I had a, a, a hybrid uh, hunting vehicle once that did that. It charged the battery while we were using the gas side, and it was it was efficient, not great, but pretty good. And you can see where that technology was headed. And of course, it's just there now in a lot of respects. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Austin Golding from Golding Barge Line. We'll see you after this. We all love living in Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Austin Golding, who's the president and CEO of Golding Barge Line, a family business that is very, very important to Mississippi and very, very important to the energy sector in particular. So they're in a really good position. Uh, they sort of can see the barometer of things from an economic and energy policy point of view just because of the amount of product that they're moving around the inland waterways of uh, the United United States. And by the way, people who fish offshore, like I do, you probably pass their barges on a regular basis uh, headed out offshore because they're running boats constantly back and forth from, from Chevron to the Mississippi River and beyond. So um, they're always out there working, and they have to pay very, very close attention to the weather. <laughs> We've had, uh, I don't know, are you guys running right now with these stiff uh, east winds? Uh, yeah, we'll run some. We'll run some of our boats. Our runners, depending on which jump they have to make. If it's a if it's a big open water, we're probably not running. But if it's if it's a quick A to B and it's not that not that much volatility, we'll we'll take. Yeah, it stay on the intercoastal mostly. Yeah. yeah. So look, um, as as we think about you know water and weather and all that. The, the situation on the Mississippi River, man, uh, you, you thought last year was bad, then you get into this year, and here we are, just big heat dome sits over America for months on end. Uh, it creates gigantic challenges for every single business that, that depends on the Mississippi River to move product, doesn't it? It does, and it's, it creates a situation where I think the, the companies that are a part of it uh, learn the limitations of some of their supply chains as it comes to the river. Uh, the river itself is still pretty reliable. It's the ports and the facilities that we go in and out of are not set up for 50 feet of variance. So, um, you know, I think we've become pretty accustomed to operating in this space. Um, our, our ability to operate has become uh, pretty routine, I hate to say it, in, a, in an extreme environment. Um, but to have this kind of low water extend into December is going to be pretty um, pretty unprecedented, and you're seeing some some pretty uh, some pretty real bank collapse around the river. You're seeing some infrastructure be out of the water a little too long. Uh, there's even some talk about uh, the Mississippi Old Mississippi River Bridge here needs more water pressing it back down river because of the slope that the footings on the bridge. That bridge has been here for a long time, and that bridge has never had this much of its pilings exposed without any water pressure on it for this long in its life. So uh, it, there's a lot of structural issues that depend on the river being up as well, that they're, that they're starting to collapse. I mean, a lot of our docks are offline because they were sitting on the mud. They weren't floating anymore. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's definitely a, a, tough, a tough environment to work in and try to work around. But, you know, like we've talked about it, it presents us a great opportunity to, provoke, to, to, to provide value and prove our work. Well, what, what's interesting, as you've talked about in the past, I mean, for some people, the Corps of Engineers is the worst thing that ever happened. And for some people, the Corps of Engineers is the best thing that ever happened. But their work on the Mississippi River, it is indisputable how important it is. And during these low water times, the Corps has really given the, the Corps an opportunity to sort of redouble their efforts, hasn't it? Well, they're running, uh, I believe, nine dredges right now along the system. And it's keeping it cut and keeping it viable. And I will give them 100 percent credit for the, the men and women that are running these dredges and running these river operations live, they're doing a great job. I think where the core could improve and where a lot of people run into problems uh, is at the very, very top where the millions of dollars it takes to keep us updated and new projects online 
cost overruns, cost estimates, and timelines are just a mess. And, yeah. you know, I, I get that inflation is a big part of a lot of those messes and, and that the uncertainty around a lot of the, the workforce it takes to do those projects is a part of those mess messes that we have to clean up. But whenever our, our projects double in time and double in budget, it's a complete it feels like a complete waste. And yeah. I was wondering how that can be that many people that, that work inside a bureaucratic organization like that that, that can't get with can't get it within at least a few percentages of being. Yeah, you think about the. Correct. the Massive flood control projects that they've done over over the, you know so many years, combined with the amount of money it key, it takes to keep the Mississippi River flowing the way it's flowing, because you know you can for people who don't pay attention to this, the Mississippi River is naturally naturally sort of wanting to find the path of least resistance, and that it takes a yeoman's effort to keep it running the way that it is. I mean, you get to see it every day, but it's it, it we're t- it is extremely expensive and it takes tremendous uh, expertise to keep that that river where it's navigable uh, d- doesn't it it does and i think what we got what we got to realize is, is a country um from an, uh, an internal standpoint is that this river not only supplies uh, commerce via its waterways it also is a great source of fresh water supply there's a lot of flood control that grows it goes into those uh projects and there's a lot of sustainability and environmental positivity that goes into those that create and protect wetlands and have a lot of uh, env- nature uh, loves stability. And mm-hmm. so um, a lot of it has become a lot healthier ecosystem around these these areas that are being devastated by what we class as a natural disaster uh, every few years. So if we can contain it, um, it's really it's it's a multi multi a lot of mu- multiple benefits as far as the the, the taxpayer goes to this system, um, not to mention a super highway that, that is the envy of the rest of the world. Well, one of the one of the things that you guys had to do, or um, probably way more than, I'll, I'm going to oversimplify so people can really kind of envision what's happening here, is that you take a certain barge and you, if you fill it up to its maximum level that you, you want it to be in order to be super efficient, it's heavy. It takes, it draws a lot of water. In some cases, you, you can't fill it up as much as you want to. So then it takes more barges to do the same amount of product when the, when the river's up. The other, the other point that you made, and you can expand on both of these, is that imagine you're in a boat and the water's super low and you don't have a dock that, that will just naturally reposition itself to whatever the water depth is at that moment. What that means is when you pull up, you can't get off your boat. You can, I mean, the, 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 the infrastructure is not built for these, in most cases, not built for these low water scenarios. How do you deal with that? So the first, the first part is we try to calculate the maximum draft we can operate with on safely. And, you know, once we do that, we can kind of adjust that number. But you're right. Uh, you know, you say you have just for round numbers, you have 10 foot of draft. If you go to an eight foot draft, you've taken 20 percent out of that out of that barge. Well, chances are that 20 percent was paying for the whole effort or was the reason the whole effort was going into it. So now you're down at break even or running at a loss to avoid a larger loss. Uh, at, and at this at the dock uh, scenario, uh, a lot of the floating docks, there's, you can't, they, they, the water's all the way run out from underneath them and they're sitting in the mud. We can't even get close to them. They're offline. And the ones that are super tall, uh, that becomes a safety hazard getting people on and off. And, and maybe even the hoses and some of the offloading equipment it not long enough to reach us and they go offline. 
Um, and so if, the, if, if something is not operable, that's, what, that's one thing. But if something's operable and it's dangerous, that's another. And both of those scenarios are, are definitely uh, uh, present and possible in our world as we speak. You know, each one of your each one of your your boats and the crews that are on them, they're like little cities, aren't they? I mean, they have to be self-contained. The captain has to be somebody who can turn make decisions on a dime. I mean, you, you never know what this guy's going to face. You, the talent you've amassed there, the institutional knowledge, the professionalism and experience that you've amassed there. It's it's super significant, and that that probably when you contemplate about that, I'm sure some of that keeps you up at night, but it also helps you sleep better at night knowing that that level of experience is there. But it's significant, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you how significant it is. It dictates our scale. Um, we have customers right now that would take two golden barge lines, um, and we could grow easily double in size in two years if we just press the button. But at that point, I know we're hurting people, we're spilling products, we're not as, as good a company as we are now. And so the talent that you have dictates how fast you can grow. And I've had plenty of competitors that have, that have blasted right through that and grown to grow. And we eat their lunch. Uh, they're, they're giving everybody excuses not to do business with them. We're giving everybody excuses to value our business. And that is totally indicative of the, of the type of talent we have on the boat. And if people are out there that are not proficient, that don't care, that are a warm body that we needed, we're asking for trouble versus people out there that are trained or handpicked uh, and are trusted and are known and have pride in the work because they know they're part of something that recognizes their effort. Uh, you'll have a lot better success with that crew. So, yeah, the talent we have is is what dictates our scale, not demand. You said that so clearly, Austin, and having been a former CEO, I can so relate to everything you just said, that sometimes growth for the sake of good, what happens is you're, you're not necessarily chasing the margin. You're, you're chasing the top-line revenue growth, and you're not really, especially in your business, when the, when the, when the uh, amount of investment in capital, the amount of investment in people and the experience and all these things can't keep up with the top-line revenue growth. You're in an industry that has environmental, um, <laughs> environmental ramifications that could be very, very significant. And you got to be smart. When we get on the other side, I want to talk, want to talk, talk, talk more more in core value inside your company that doesn't let you outpace yourself because that that's actually a really important um, part of your company that's going to be enduring for you. That's going to enable you to to stay healthy for many years to come. We'll talk more about that on the other side with Austin Golding when we come back. Matthew show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthew show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I'm thrilled to have my friend Austin Golding from Golding Barge Line with us. He's the president and CEO of this family-owned business and it's always interesting to talk to him. We learn a lot about a lot. Hey, I want to come back to the enduring core values, but before I do that, man, when I think about Vicksburg this time of year, I think about deer hunting and duck hunting. I mean, right. 
the you know the as uh, Steve Azar said on the show the other day the what people wear changes you know people you know might have their business attire on and suddenly you know you see a lot of uh, mossy oak and 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 orange around yeah. the town don't you Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, we, especially yeah, on, on 61 North and 61 South, you get around Delta Outfitters. My good buddy Eddie Buckner up there. You go see Eddie and get get outfitted and get ready to roll. Maybe catch you know you walk into Beachwood Steakhouse here in town and you see you see a lot of guys uh, wearing camo, having steaks come down from the deer camp. We got a new place here right? for anybody new to coming to Vicksburg. Tommy's Barbecue on 61 North. If you're headed to the duck camp or the deer camp this winter. Stop by there and get you some brisket or uh, some some of that some of those ribs there. I'm telling you, I don't know why Tommy stopped in Vicksburg. I'm glad he did. That's some, <laughs> you sound like you've been there more than once. Oh man, he knows me. He, he knows me by by by, by sound, <laughs> my footsteps probably. Uh, but no, it, it's really cool. There, there's this is a, you know a, kind of a cool uh, indicator that at our local FBO at our local airport uh, we see fuel sales jump. Uh, for private aviation during hunting season. So you got some big money folks coming in, uh, flying in for the, the outdoors activities that are here around around Vicksburg. Yeah, I have friends, as you know, that, that own land on Kings Point, and mm-hmm. my son Jordan and I enjoy spending time with them there. I think you're actually looking across at Kings Point as we speak, huh? I can see it right now. I got, <laughs> you got about six towboats held up hanging out waiting to come through the bridges tied off in the trees right there 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 you go but yeah it's a it's a wonderful time of the year i love being out in the outdoors and as i say on my show all the time uh, super talk outdoors it's about the experience you know it's not about just the hunting and you uh you've been around all your life you're not a big deer hunter you you do some duck hunting is that right I, well, I would. I'm. Um, I, I like to to class myself as the guy that's going to make sure that there's fresh ice and everybody's whiskey drink. The game's on and the steaks are cooked just right back at the camp. And I won't kill the vibe. I'll have camo on, but uh, you won't you won't catch me in a duck blind or a deer stand very many days. More likely to be on the golf course. And then I know about when it gets to be dark, the rest of the guys are coming off the stand. So I might might still have some uh some some a ball marker in my pocket or something like that but i'm more of a more of a golfer and, and a uh a, a artist than a uh than a hunter for most times hey listen the the reality of the situation is that um i play golf i used to play golf once a year to remind myself why i don't play because to be a good <laughs> fisherman or to or to be a good hunter uh, you got to go do it and if you could do those things you can't play golf because if you're going to play golf you got to play golf don't you well, you do, and I do a lot more of that for work than I do hunting. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. Um, but but, but tr- truth be told, it, it's it's the best it's the best uh, deer hunting and duck hunting environment I've I've been around in, in Central Mississippi over here, and it's a huge part of our local economy. And um, I, I I tell you, I'd I, I'd highly suggest anybody get over here and and not only check out that part of Vicksburg, but also the National Military Park's a great thing to check out this time of year, too. You got, yeah. it's a little cooler, it's a great walk, it's a great way to get out and spend the day, and it, in my opinion, it's the most underrated attraction in Mississippi. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, Vicksburg yeah, is a, th- a thriving region of the state, and, and in fact, one of the reasons why I refer to Mississippi on my outdoor show is the capital of the outdoors in America. You can't beat what you could experience there, not just in the hunting, but in all the ancillary uh, amenities that you get from coming to a place like Victory. You can't beat that anywhere in the country. Hey, listen, uh, let's just close the show with this. Enduring core values that are built into a company are the, are the things that enable it to make the kind of decisions that you're making 
thing not to grow too fast because you got a lot of responsibility to do what you do in a very safe way. And you also have to keep your company sustainable, which means it has to be financially successful. What is that value? That How did that get built into your company? Well, you know, my dad is my dad is our leader from that standpoint, and he's very, very much so a straight up, straightforward, honorable guy. And, you know, when you get in a business that has a lot of opportunities to make the wrong decisions and cover things up and try to take shortcuts, uh, eventually it catches up to you. And so I think my dad being a strong Christian man that, that has a, a very high uh, intense sense of honesty and, and, and a very uh, strict moral code. Um, when you get into a business that people trust their relatives to live on your boats and trust them and you're, you have to curate their world for eight months out of the year and they trust you with them, uh, you, want, you want to make sure that they, you're sending your people to work at a company that's run by people with high moral, high moral uh, fiber. And so we don't just have a place that people come to work. We have a place people come and live in and work. And so they, they know who you are. The customers know who you are. They know your character. And when you're touching them 24 hours a day, you gotta be, you gotta be built the right stuff. So when I read that, that section from John Tyson, that newsletter and our, that quote from Desmond Tutu, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. Your family gets that, don't they? I like to think so. You know, my, my dad's very, very charitable and he loves Mississippi and truth be told, maybe to, to put a bow on that, this company could be located anywhere in the country. Uh, and we located in Vicksburg, Mississippi for a reason. And it's because we align with the values and the people here. That's very, very well said. Also, it's been great to catch up with you, my friend. Great to catch up with you too, Ricky. All my very best. Good luck with the river. Good luck with the river. Uh, this has been Austin Golding from Golding Barge Line. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.